Gentle listener, if you're enjoying the coaching you're hearing on the podcast, I invite you to consider joining my wild community. It's my way of delivering coaching to a broad number of people and actually getting to answer your questions individually and coach you back. Each month, we focus on a theme that is relevant to women. This month, we're looking at unbelonging and boundaries. I post three pieces of relevant content in the community each week, an article, a journal prompt, or a poll, for example. And when you respond in the comments, if it's coachable, then I will coach you there. On Fridays at 9am Pacific, we jump on Zoom for a wilding, a casual chat about the topics that have come up that week. And then once a month, we have a workshop, an hour of more formal writing around the subject of the month. The community is in its second year, and it's become one of my favorite places to hang out. Go to the show notes for a link with all the information and to sign up. I hope to see you there. And now on to the show. The rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives we change the world. I'm your host, Emma Whittard. Hello! Welcome to episode 12 of Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Whittard, and I'm coming to you today from my home in Pasadena, California. This is the third episode of three that is focused on our values. We'll be talking with Flora, an edtech entrepreneur extraordinaire. She lives her life and has built her business in a way that truly integrates her values and allows her to practice them throughout every area of her life. If you listened to the last two episodes and did the journal prompts in the show notes, you have probably identified what your core values are, or you may already be aware of them. Are you living them in every area of your life, with yourself, in your relationships, at work? If not, what would it take to make that change? Living fully into her values meant some seismic shifts for Flora. Flora Azuzena is a first-generation Mexican-American edtech entrepreneur. She's a healthcare professional who built a career in sales, marketing, and training prior to founding Alchemy Vision, a platform built to help eye care medical practices train their staff. Flora is passionate about education and about contributing her knowledge to help build high-performing teams who can properly care for patients. She's also the mother of two young boys and a young and energetic four-legged friend. In her free time, Flora likes to read, travel, and spend time with her family. Flora is also an ex-coaching client of mine. So Flora, welcome to Becoming Wild. Thank you, Emma. That is quite the lovely introduction. I am going to start hiring you to give any introductions to any speaking engagements. I'm (laughs) Thank you. You are so welcome. It really doesn't properly do justice to to what you've achieved over the last couple of years, but we will get into that. So first of all, please tell us what is Alchemy Vision? Why did you create it? And put it in the context for us of your wild journey, how you became the woman you are today, blazing your own trail. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. And and I feel that becoming wild is really, truly becoming into oneself. 
And that journey for me started right around the time COVID closed the entire country, the entire world down. This was the perfect opportunity for me to reassess what is important in my life and how is it that I want to live the rest of my life. We had a very pivotal lunch together. Was that 2019? That was before the pandemic, wasn't it? That was 2019. That was forecasting yeah. what was about to come. It really was. I was in the process of transformation and COVID just simply accelerated that transformation. COVID gave me basically the opportunity, the time to think to slow down, to evaluate life as if it was the only life I have. Mm -hmm. To answer the question of how is it that I came to build Alchemy Vision, create Alchemy Vision out of nowhere? You know, actually, <laughs> I don't want to say out of nowhere because it is always out of somewhere. But to go back to the to answer the question of how Alchemy Vision was created, I have to trace back to my story and what inspired the creation of that, what inspired me to leave a very comfortable career in healthcare, to take a huge risk, to earn no money, and to work harder than I ever had before. And so to go back to that question, I grew up in a very small rural part of Mexico where there was no access to education. And I really didn't begin to value education and immerse myself into being curious as a kid when reading until I was about 10 years old when my family immigrated into this country. So I am a first Mexican-American generation. And I became curious about reading and immersed into the knowledge that I was acquiring. And it is at, a very, it is at that very young age that I began to think about the value of education, about how it really opens up our minds and exposes us to what the future can be. And so coming from not having any education whatsoever, I put myself through school. I knew that I wanted to go to a four-year college when I was in probably middle school. And I knew that I wanted to build a business. I don't know what kind of business, all I knew was that I wanted to control my own destiny. And so I went on to I went on to apply at USC, uh, University of Southern California, the only school that I ever applied to because it is the only school that I wanted to go to because it was the only school near Los Angeles that was a great school for business and that had an entrepreneurial program. And so that is what I set my mind to and that is what I did. And after I graduated from college, life had a different plan for me. That's where I met Robert, my, my husband, who I am now divorced from. We met in the entrepreneur program. He himself was an entrepreneur, a successful one at that. He'd already built a couple of companies at a very young age. He's, he's obviously an overachiever. And I looked up to him. He was somebody that I aspired to be like, even though he was one year younger than me. And Colombian man of very, very Hispanic culture and values, but with the American mentality of capitalism and scale and growth and entrepreneurship. So needless to say, I fell deeply in love with him. And so after graduating from college, rather than my starting my own business, as I desired to do since I was very little, I did what a good Hispanic woman would do. 
and that is to support her boyfriend, who would eventually become my husband. And so I took on a job as a pharmaceutical rep working for a large company called Pfizer. And I began my career in healthcare at that time and making, you know, good money for somebody that young and eventually climbing up the career ladder, which was great. I've learned a lot in healthcare. I am deeply passionate about healthcare and patient care, et cetera. But more than anything, I was committed to the relationship. And my role in the relationship was to support Robert, who did eventually become my husband, Why? who we have two wonderful kids together. And so that is the inception of my experience in healthcare. It was within healthcare that I observed challenges people's stories that I identified with myself growing up, not having education, not having the support of family, not being able to afford education in the first place. And so I began to see the lack of training, the lack of preparedness within the allied healthcare staff. Those are the receptionists, the technicians, the medical assistants that support the doctor when caring for patients. So it is from this place that Alchemy Vision was born. Can I go back for a minute? So how is it, do you think, that you had the drive or the, well, I don't even know what what word I would use. How is it, do you think, that you decided, that you, Flora, decided that you were going to go to college that you you had this sort of mental strength to say this is the thing that I'm going to do and really be very single-minded about it from a really young age you know that is a that is a great question uh I was recently asked that question I was uh, privileged to be invited last week to an event in Utah where the country's most powerful leaders in education met. This was by invitation only 150 CEOs of education companies and some state officials or country officials that are in education were at this event. And somebody asked me that question, somebody that is deep in education and has yet to find that key of what makes somebody pursue something. How do you inspire somebody to do the thing you want them to do, in this case, study and follow a career path. And so, you know, it's interesting that you're asking me that question, because in that moment, I thought about it, and I could not come up with an answer. All I could think of was that, you know, confidence doesn't really come from comfort. It comes from conflict, from trial and error. And at a very young age, I was already in conflict. I was already in survival mode. And I already knew that instinctively, you know, like like a mammal, like an animal that is up against a challenge. How, what is my way out? I'm up against the wall. I instinctively know this because I'm a nine year old you know, recycling cans from trash bins and selling them for a penny, I'm already in conflict. So I knew instinctively that education would be my way out. Mm. I have, I come from a family of seven other siblings. I'm the, I'm the seventh, the sixth to the youngest. And none of my other siblings followed in, or actually I, I should say I didn't follow into their footsteps because none of my other siblings pursued a higher education. And so I think that I observed what their life was like without education. I observed my parents working really, really hard for minimum wage, not being there for me or my siblings because they were working tirelessly for a very minimum salary. I myself at the age of nine was recycling. So I knew that there had to be a different way inspiration came from conflict from yeah. Bible, from 
there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Hardship. Yeah. Finding a way out of hardship. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And so interesting that you formed the conclusion that education was the way out, um, that you were the member of the family that had that, that thought and then followed through on it. Yeah. But even, but even more than, than that conflict is, you know, once I achieved a level of success, I went from being a pharmaceutical rep working with Pfizer. I very quickly climbed that corporate ladder. I worked in marketing roles and sales roles and training roles with medical device companies. I worked most recently prior to starting Alchemy Vision at Bausch & Lomb where I helped with the training of residents on Bausch & Lomb's vast portfolio of surgical products. I was at the pinnacle of my career, if you will, with the company card, with the company car, or mm-hmm. actually an expense account. And, uh, and I had it all. I had the salary, I had the 401k. And so when I announced to my family that I was leaving this job, this career, to try something different, a passion project, if you will, they were shocked. Why would I do that? You are going to fail. You have it all. You have what most people aspire to, what most people work their entire lives to achieve. And so I began to hear you know, that negative feedback that is often accompanied by, by other people's projection, really. Yeah. Their own fears. And so that is a bigger question of how, you know, how in the face of doubt, does one continue to power? Yes, that is the question. Can you answer it for us, Flora? <laughs> Do you know the answer? Well, I, you know, like you, when you left your corporate career, perhaps some of your listeners are also have found themselves in those situations, whether by choice or not, we're forced to leave the comfort, whether it's a marriage, a relationship, a job, whatever it might be, that is where comfort is. And when you shake things up, that is when things get really interesting. That's where that's yes. when you hear who does she think she is. It won't last. It's just another one of her big ideas. I heard that time and time again, and I myself wondered if are they are they right? Am I making a big mistake? And I mentioned earlier that. I made this big change of leaving my corporate job and starting Alchemy Vision during COVID. This was a time when people were dying. Yeah. Medical doctors that were not performing essential or emergency surgery, they were not being reimbursed by Medicare. So they had to close down their offices, their medical offices. And basically the entire healthcare system switched to serving only those people that were being affected by COVID. And so this was a time, a very scary time for a lot of people in the world. People were dying. And so I thought, well, this is it. I could get COVID myself and this could be it. My younger brother, fortunately he's okay, but he experienced that scary moment of being in the ICU and my signing off on the person that would be the one to make medical decisions on his behalf. And so when you are faced with this is life, this is real, what are you going to do with that? That is when I decided that I can have a corporate card, I can have a car, I can have a 401k, but is this all I can contribute to the world? And I had to dig deep inside myself and say, no, actually there's more I can do. I may not make any money doing so initially. I may be taking a big, ginormous risk. But if this is the only life I have left to live, then I want to do it with purpose. I want to live it with purpose. I want to be that ripple that starts very small, 
but is contagious and creates other ripples and in doing so creates change, positive change. And so I risked my salary, all of it, because at the end of the day, to me, those things were not as important as being in a position of privilege to be that change. Yeah. Such a courageous thing to do and such, I mean, and I think just to say to the listeners, there's a difference between, if you look at what I did, I, all I did was started working as a coach. Okay. So I didn't have to spend any money. I didn't have to build an enormous business. I didn't have to figure out an online infrastructure to deliver something. My, my, my leap was relatively straightforward and yes, I had to take a huge, massive <laughs> pay cut. Yes. But but what you did, you know, it's involved needing to raise money. It's involved hiring people, infrastructure, and and sort of working with you towards the beginning. The amount of hours as well it took, and I remember you were working working during the night I hope you don't do that anymore but (laughs) you know I mean you were you were a woman on a mission it was it was really incredible to watch and I and I used to think I could tell you this now oh my god how is she doing all of this I just don't know how she's doing it it was really really amazing it's and it's the only one we have and at one yeah and I, and I, you know, and I had to convince myself I was meant for this. Yes. I, kind of like a little bit like becoming a mother, right? Yes. Have a child and you are up at all hours of the night and day. Yes. You say, oh, you know, um, he'll be fine or she will be fine if we skip one meal or we skip one nap. No, it's not fine. And so you Mm -hmm. really don't have a choice. You make the choice initially to become pregnant and to have a child. So you Mm -hmm. make that choice initially to be an entrepreneur and to embark on this journey. But once you make that choice, you are stuck with that choice. (laughs) (laughs) It is like birthing something that did not exist before. Yeah, I think you had sextuplets or something, though. I think I just had one child. I think you had six at once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I will add that my co-founder, Felipe, who is, a, who is an amazing, talented designer and, and marketing strategist, he, you know, he used to say to me, Flora, you are the CEO of a SaaS company, SaaS SAS is an acronym for software as a service. Uh-huh. You are an owner of a Dropbox account or any cloud service account. Their business model is SAS, software uh-huh. as a service. So Alchemy Vision is, you know, a SAS type of a platform that delivers a service to medical practices that want to train their staff. And so and so Felipe would say, Flora. That is very ironic that you are the leader of a SaaS company and here you are asking me how to change the password of your email. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, you were so such a brave thing to do, such I, a brave you know, thing I to am do. Not, I am not even an older millennial. I'm an ex. <laughs> that close to being a boomer. Oh. I did not grow up with an iPad or yeah. an iPhone. An iPhone, I was already a full-grown adult with children when iPhones came out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so, you know, and so who am I to be building a technology company? Who am I to be building an education company of all things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I stopped questioning some of those self-doubt voices that show up i've learned to consciously tune them out because say for instance you want to become the president of the united states 
the president of the United States is not going to show up to office and say, oh, my gosh, what if there is a bomb? How am I going to detonate? How am I going to disarm that that bomb? Well, he doesn't need to have gone to SWAT school. He can hire the people that can disarm that bomb. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Being in a position of leadership requires, doesn't require the actual skills to change the password of some <laughs> software or, you know, or does not require me to, to type a hundred words per minute. Being in a yeah. position of leadership requires experience and having a vision of where I am leading this boat. Where am I going? Yes. You know? Yeah. I once heard Oprah a very long time ago give a speech where he where she says that in order for anybody to follow the leader, the leader needs to know where they are going. Mm-hmm. Very much yeah. like driving a car. So she she talks about when she was uh, younger and and she would get in a car and she would say, well, where are we going? And the person, you know, whoever the date was would say, well, you know, we're just going to go for a ride. And she would say, well, I don't just go on rides for the sake of <laughs> driving in circles. Like, is there a destination? Mm-hmm. And so a leader is very much along having that, that thing within oneself that says, as a bold and as audacious as it may be, that's where we're going. So when I proclaimed to the team that we were building a company and we were going to help train millions of people that are in hourly wage jobs how to be better at their job so that they can take better care of patients but also advance professionally, that that is what we said we were going to do and we are doing it and it's a it's it's like mount everest but it all begins with one step in front of the other so you know i once read a book by ash amberjay she wrote this book called uh the middle finger project (laughs) oh yes i remember you telling me about this yeah it's the middle finger project I so when I built Alchemy Vision, I started off with that philosophy, with that mentality of, of I'm just gonna give everybody the finger and do what I want to do because heck, you know this is the only life I've got, and who knows, I may not even have it by the end of 2020. Yeah. So so Alchemy Vision was actually first named the Alchemy Vision Project. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, we started dropping syllables as we've grown, <laughs> but but that is where that came from. Yeah. Tell me about doing this as a woman. You know, all the businesses that you've been have been very male-dominated. How's the patriarchy taken you doing this? Well, for anybody that has recently watched the Barbie movie, Hmm. Yes, love it. Great movie. You know, the patriarchy is very much alive. Mm-hmm. And we see it across the board, across industries. When you see male CEOs, male CFOs, you know, the Barbie movie was an exaggeration that, you know, that scene when she walks in the boardroom. And yes. These are all men leading a business of Barbies, like a toy for for little girls. Mm-hmm. Yet every single person in that room was a male. You know, that is an exaggeration of of what is happening in corporate America. The very first time that I was at a meeting at Bausch and Lomb. This is a national sales meeting. My very first meeting, this might, this might've been, I don't know, 2011, something along those lines. I actually took a picture because every single person that was on stage and was a leader in the organization was a man. Every single person there was a white man. And that was very shocking to me. Because 
I thought if I am going to climb, if I'm going to continue climbing ladders as I have been, how am I climb? How am I going to climb this one? How am I going to climb over these people? And there's another book that I read, and I forget the author's name. I'm actually terrible with authors, but it's called Your Edge or The Edge. And and so what I understood is that we need to tap into what our skills are. What sets me apart? Mm, yes. That, and then use that to achieve, to accomplish, to move up, whatever that may be. And so coincidentally, one of those things for me is actually being a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly, constantly underestimated. I am. So therefore, I'm not a competition to anybody. Little do they know that I'm actually, you know, quite intelligent and I can compete head to head with anybody. But the fact that I'm underestimated is because I'm a woman is a strength. Yeah. And so like any relationship that you walk into, it is important to recognize and read the room. When you walk into a wedding, you can, you know, you feel the, the energy of the room. And so you adapt to that energy. When you walk into a boardroom and that boardroom is full of men, what do you do? You adapt to that energy and you play to your strengths. And little by little, that is changing. More women are, are, are becoming into our own. We are growing and into confident. I don't need a man to survive anymore. And when we do that, we are slowly changing. As a mother of two boys, I'm very aware of the patriarchy. Their father, as I mentioned, a Colombian man with very strong Hispanic values, you know, this is a side story, but he expected that I would make his breakfast every weekend. Not only did he <laughs> expect that I would make his breakfast, but he would request that I make his breakfast with love. <laughs> so my boys share that person as their father. Mm-hmm. And it is my job as a parent to teach them that simply because they are a man, does not guarantee them a board seat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here, here. Thank you, Flora. You're doing a public service by doing that. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you about values. So this podcast, this episode is the last of three episodes on values. I've been coaching my client on values and I've been talking a little bit on the podcast about what values are and why they're important. Can you tell us a little bit about your values, how you've developed them over the years and how you live by them now? I love that question because it is through my work with you that I began to dig deeper within myself. What is it that I truly value? Mm -hmm. Discovering what my values are has been a very personal journey. Mm-hmm. Namely, because the way I grew up, it was very much in survival mode. Where is the next meal going to come from? What is the task that needs to be solved or the problem that needs to be solved today? So, having the luxury to reflect on values is something that did not come to me until much later in life. Yeah, it's a privilege, isn't it? All all of this work, the time and space to do this work is a privilege. Absolutely. It, it really, it really, really is. And, mm. um, you know, and in business, we often like to say that a company cannot succeed unless the values are super strong, which is the foundation of that organization. There's a book, there's a business book that I read by Professor Jerry Porras. He wrote this book called Success Built to Last. And in this book, he outlines the word purpose. There needs to be purpose. 
and purpose is sort of like the north star, and the guardrails are the values that the company believes in. And so, if we, as a as a capitalistic society, can have such defined metrics for an organization, why wouldn't we have that for ourselves? Yeah. Absolutely. And again, it is a it is a luxury to think in that way. And so for me, it only came through a lot of self-awareness and a lot of self-reflection and narrowing down the things that are important to me. So if my North Star is to live a purposeful life, one that is of generosity and of love, that is shared with others, then the, my values are those guardrails. What do I believe in? Mm -hmm. So for me, my values are, and I'll break this down a little bit more in more detail, but my values are spirituality, not religion necessarily, although I did grow up Catholic and I did study theology for one year in college just because <laughs> I was curious about you know, the world's religions. And uh, so spirituality, it's also beauty, but beauty in the sense of, of just being in awe of everything mm -hmm. around us, of life around us, the, the, the magic that life is and how beautiful it really is. And then love. Love truly is that greatest, that greatest strength, and it is sort of like a prism uh, where the virtues such as kindness and generosity and, and selflessness are reflected based on that love that mm -hmm. emanates from oneself. Mm. So I aspire to have love within myself so that I can share with others. That gives me hope. <laughs> right <laughs> for for a business leader's values to be spirituality beauty and love we just need more of that in the world we really do particularly when there is so much violence mm. and so much hatred that yeah. is spread in the name of religion in the name of um of really disguised behind evil and hatred. Mm, and, yeah. you know, and I suppose that is the balance of, of the world, dark and light, evil and good. So hopefully, you know, we can counterbalance that a little bit with, with some light in mm. the form of love and beauty and spirituality. But you know, yeah. I want to go back to I want to go back to that word spirituality, mm -hmm. and this ties back to your question of how do I live, how do I practice being in this space of of living my values. So I mentioned that I grew up Catholic, mm -hmm. and within the Catholic religion and within all religions of the world there are certain boundaries of what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up Catholic, believing in the Ten Commandments and what to do and what not to do. So mm -hmm. some of them, a lot of them are really good, such as, you know, you shouldn't steal. That's all good and great. But then it gets a little extreme and people take it to mean in something entirely different. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, I have a different set of beliefs. I believe in love and so long as a person operates from that space, that just that, that purity of mm -hmm. love, which again is that is generosity, is selflessness, is all of those things. You know, we are human and we are going to make mistakes, but it is what you do to correct those mistakes without hurting others that is that is spiritual so i guess there's a follow-up story to that i married in the catholic 
church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and according to the Catholic church, thou shall never divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so the church will make certain exceptions. And I realize that I'm going into very, you know, um, controversial ground, if you will, when I say the following. However, if you pay the church enough money to divorce you, then they will. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It has always been so, <laughs> right? That money gets you quite a long way yes. um, with the church. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, you know, so I, I see that and I just don't agree with it. However, I also have a Catholic family. My mom goes to church at least three times a week. And so in her eyes, I am still married. And if I have a boyfriend, then I'm living in sin. I'm an adulteress. <laughs> and so therefore, sadly, my mom cannot accept me as I am with all of my faults as a human, with having been divorced and, you know, trying to remake my life. She just won't, she just can't. She is incapable because she's older and she's been in this tradition of religion for so, so long. Yeah. So, so that tradition, that religion trumps love. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Very hard. Yeah. And so, and so I try not to be so constrained in tradition. I like the freedom of, of the values of love mm -hmm. and spirituality. Yeah. And gratefulness for the beauty around us, for the beauty of me living this day. Yeah, so, and those are universal values. You can practice those values no matter what religion you follow or don't follow. So they're unifying values. Whereas, as you say, a lot of religion is, um, uh, I'm searching for the word, it, it, it pulls us apart. It separates us from each other. Right. It separates yeah. us. It's not unifying the way love is. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And, and how do you, how do those values translate into how you run Alchemy Vision? You know, it starts with the team, mm -hmm. you know, again, our North Star is to be of service to other people, other mm -hmm. people being the technicians that are educated and trained through the service that we provide. Mm -hmm. We bring education to their workplace and it is education that will help them move up in their career within their field. Mm -hmm. And while they become better trained, more engaged and more responsive to patients' needs, the patient then ends up receiving higher quality of care. Yeah. And especially with elderly people, you, you know, we work with ophthalmologists, eye care physicians, elderly people are much more vulnerable than they once were when they were young, like yeah. you and I. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and so when, so when they are vulnerable, they come to the doctor, the doctor tells them they have a cataract, you know, it's a very scary thing for them. They don't know what a cataract is. So being able to take care of other people at a time when they are in need, at a time when they are the most vulnerable and receiving high quality of care that is compassionate and loving is, is what, what we strive to do as an organization. So that is mm -hmm. our North Star. Wonderful. And then the values that are our guardrails are being of service to each other, to my team, you know, I, I will do anything for my team. They, you know, they get to live their life. We're primarily a remote team, which means my co-founder currently is living in Poland. 
our technology team, half of them are in India and some of them are in New Jersey. Um, Cara, who works with us in marketing, she's out in Boston. And so we are really all over the place Mm -hmm. and we are working and also living our life. So somebody has a doctor's appointment, you know, Cara is a mother. If she needs to be there for her family, she's not our slave. She shares her, her talent, her skill, her, who she is with us, but we don't own her. Yeah. You see, hearing you say that, I have never, ever heard an organization say that before. You know, and what you what you're building, it's it's a big organization. It's a it's a big business. It's a broad business, and yeah. So it's it's a it's a paradigm shift that is desperately desperately needed. So thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it every organization is different. However. As we grow, I hope to continue for us to be true to those values, which are people first, yeah, people first values. Whether it's a patient, a technician, our own, um, our own co-founders, it's people first. Yeah. And then second is love as well. Love is, you know, again, it is a beacon of of so many qualities such as, you know, acceptance and respect for other people. Yeah. So the most important thing is that we share in one common purpose. And when we need to come together, we all come together. We all know what we need to do. And we all know that, that it is a privilege for us to be able to be in this position to help others. And we take that very seriously. Mm, Wonderful. Okay, I know we're running out of time, so I must get in my final question for you, Flora. So, as you know, Becoming Wild is about deconditioning from the stories we're given as children to live a freer, truer life. Mm. Where in your life would you still like to be wilder? Well, you know, deconditioning, again, is a luxury. Mm Mm-hmm. We are a free country. We can go to school. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we can pursue an education and a career if we want to. There are so many women in this world who cannot do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And even if we have all the freedom in the world, deconditioning ourselves from the stories we were told when we were younger is a process even in a free country. So for me, that deconditioning started with with my choosing to divorce a man I so deeply loved. I had to choose to continue to be in a traditional role where there was no room for my growth or I had to choose me and respect my ideas and the skill that I have to share with others, I would not have been able to do that while in that marriage. Yeah. And so that was a really, really big, gigantic step in my deconditioning. And so now that I am you know, owner of my decisions and, and can abide by my values, that is still a great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> so how I stay true and express those values with the utmost freedom is truly by living each day in the most authentic way that I can. So I know that you're short on time, but I will share <laughs> this last story with you. And uh, this is a very personal story. Recently, I lost my dad. He had a very long battle with Alzheimer's. And towards the end of his life, he 
he was just not able to take care of himself. And so my mom carried all of that responsibility and took care of him in the, in the most uh, human way possible. I was with my mom helping her in that last week of my dad's life. My mom was frantic. She, you know, obviously and, and understandably so frantic and trying to find a cover to put underneath his body so that, you know, in case he had an accident, it wouldn't go down to the mattress. And so I had bought my mom these like super absorbent, thick pads to go underneath him. And I had ordered them online and had them shipped to her house. So when I'm helping her, I realized that she had not opened them. And so they had been sitting there for weeks. And so I grabbed one and I tried to open it. And my mom said, no, 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 no. Those are too nice. Let's leave them for later. And then I stopped what I was doing. I looked at my mom and I said, mom, later is now. This is later. My dad doesn't have a whole lot of time left. Yeah. This is later. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That hits home. Yeah. There is no later. There is no later. There is only today for us, for me, to live in the most authentic way with those guardrails in place of love, of spirituality, of beauty, with the purpose of being of service to others. Mm, absolutely. Wonderful. Yes. I agree 100%. Thank you, Flora. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thank you to Flora for sharing mm. her life and her wisdom with us. Thank you, Flora. That was that was really wonderful. Thank you for having me, Emma. Appreciate mm -hmm. you. That's it for the show. Becoming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Leader-Wilborn, Sean Dennis, Jill Smolin, and Dean and De Silva. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to Becoming Wild on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of lovely stars. It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the show. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community, where I post new content every few days and coach in the comments. And we have live coaching sessions every Friday. Or contact me to explore one-to-one -one coaching. If you have a question about what we covered today or anything else you'd like some support over, you can email me info at emmawittard.com, subject line, wild questions. And I might just respond on the show. You'll be anonymous, of course. All of this information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.